0: Oh, well, welcome back! Glad you've joined me today, and our study is going to be from Psalm sixty-three. So, if you have a Bible and you'd like to get it open, we'll look together at what God has to say about the seeking heart. In the Word of the Lord, Psalm sixty-three, one through eleven, says this: "O God, you are my God; earnestly I seek you; my soul thirsts for you; my flesh." faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth, They shall be given over to the power of the sword. There shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exult. For the mouth of the liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement of your word. We pray that you will help us today as we look at this psalm together briefly, that we might be helped and benefited and strengthened. Teach us what we need to know. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you today about following hard after God. You know, A.W. Tozer said, we pursue God because, and only because, he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to the pursuit. No man can come to me, said our Lord, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And it's by this very prevenient drawing that God takes from us every vestige of credit for the act of coming. The impulse to pursue God originates with God, says Tozer, but the outworking of the impulse is our following hard after Him. And all the time we're pursuing Him, we're already in His hand." Thy right hand upholdeth me. This is the psalm that describes the inward calling that drives a man or a woman to follow hard after God. The big idea we're dealing with today is that our hearts will never be satisfied until we come into the presence of our God. Now, the psalm moves in three motions, three movements. In verses 1 and 2, we have a longing In verses 3 through 8, we have a worshiping. And in verses 9 through 11, we have trusting. So let's begin in verses 1 and 2 with longing. As we begin to read the psalm, we're immediately captured by its emotional intensity. It's the very first verse we're confronted by a man, a psalmist. And this man's heart is on fire. Listen to him as he says, O God, you are my God earnestly i seek you my soul thirsts for you my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water it's poetry poetry exists for the purpose of expressing in words the emotions of the human soul the poet puts into the words something that he feels in his soul he uses the imagery of nature perhaps or civilization or conflict or peace some picture that he paints in words in the hope of provoking the reader to feel the same emotion that he feels. In this case, to experience the same longing that the psalmist felt as he wrote his poem. The image the psalmist chooses is the image of a man in the wilderness, a man on a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And as soon as he says those words. Our bodies, as if on command, feel his thirst. Our throat tightens. Our skin seems to sense somehow the heat of the desert day. And in some mysterious way beyond our understanding, like the psalmist, we long for a refreshing drink of cool water. Only the psalmist's thirst isn't for water. It's for the water of life, for God himself. What he's expressing to us is a longing for God, for God himself, and not for another. There's something in the psalmist's soul that thirsts for the presence of the living God, and this longing doesn't come naturally to humanity. We know from the story of Eden that when normal fallen humanity, normal men and women, hear God's footsteps in the garden, the natural reaction of the man is to run, to hide in the bushes to seek to flee from the presence. It can never have been put there by us. Only one thing can cause this, and it is God Himself. A longing for the presence comes only from God, and it's a supernatural thing. It's Pascal's legendary God-shaped vacuum, longing to be filled, and the only thing that can fill it is God Himself. The psalmist feels this longing. And what is his response? Well, it's in verse 8, the King James tells us. It is to follow hard after God, to pursue him, to chase him, to find where he can be found and to make his home there. And so verse 2 tells us that the psalmist goes to the place where he knows that God can be found. He says, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. The old Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle put it succinctly, if you want to meet God, you must go where he can be found. The psalmist knew where God could be found, in the sanctuary. The point of these two verses is that God puts a longing for himself in our hearts that can only be filled when we seek him where we can, be, where we can find him. Did you ever lose your car keys? How did you feel? I bet there was a bit of anxiety, a bit of frustration, maybe a little impatience with yourself because you'd done it. And where did you look for them? Did you look for them in your refrigerator? Did you search through your medicine chest? And what about that cabinet under your bathroom sink? Did you search there? Well, maybe you did, and maybe you found them. But probably you didn't waste your time searching those places. You searched for them in places where they were more likely to be found. And The longing for God, the longing that He has put in our hearts, that's only going to be found when we look for Him in the place where He can be found. And it's only there that our longing for Him can be satisfied. Where do you find the presence of God? The most likely places will readily come to mind. We look for Him in the sanctuary, quite literally we expect to encounter God when we look for him in our churches and we should but we look for him too in the quiet moments alone with our bibles as we meditate on God's word we begin to hear God's voice speaking to us we're involved in a personal encounter with the living God we find him as well in our prayer closets at home but also in our prayer meetings abroad we come here expecting to encounter God we find Him when we pray with God's people. We find Him too in the company of God's people in other places, not just when the saints gather for worship, but also when the saints gather for a meal together, or play pickleball together, or gather around a collection of stamps, or perhaps when we are doing something in the community in Jesus' name. We find Him in all of these places, but there is one place where we find Him supremely. Wherever we find Jesus, we find the presence of God. You know, I'm more and more convinced that our great reward for living a Christian life, for serving in hard places, or perhaps soft ones, or for being quietly generous when we really can't afford it, or whatever we do for His sake, I'm more and more convinced that God Himself and Jesus Christ is our great reward for all of our following after Him in this world. Christ Himself is where God may be found, and when we seek Him, we find our reward. Now verses 3-8, through eight, we have worshiping. When the psalmist got to the place where he knew that God can be found, where he came into the sanctuary, what did he do there? He worshiped. The text tells us, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And what does this look like? The psalmist opened his mouth and poured out all that he was feeling about God. Your steadfast love is better than life. I will bless you as long as I live. I will remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. I will sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. His heart pours out what it's feeling. And notice that he isn't asking for anything. He is simply worshiping. He's enjoying God. The point of these verses is that when our hearts find him, they just need to sing. Many years ago, a friend of mine, Bill Schmidt, taught me that worship is my appropriate response to God's revelation of himself. When God reveals himself to the longing heart, The overflow will always be worship. Tozer said, The modern scientist has lost God among the wonders of his world, but I fear that the modern Christian may be in danger of losing God among the wonders of his word. And what he meant by that was that if you spend much time seeking out the knowledge of God in the scriptures, well, it can become too easy just to make a thing out of it. Now certainly there's nothing wrong with studying God's Word. The blessings and benefits can't be exaggerated. But what if, in all of our searching and studying, and even in our serving, what if we lose the person of Christ Himself? We need to remind ourselves often that we're not merely involved in a movement. We're involved in a marriage. We're the bride of Christ, and as in any marriage, the personal relationship comes before anything else. Husbands and wives whose worlds revolve around the kids, or their jobs, or having a nice home, or anything of that sort, those people are not really involved in a marriage at all. Now all of those things have their place, but it takes more than any of those things to make a marriage. Ultimately, a marriage is about a relationship, and in just that same way Christianity is about a relationship, it's about God in Christ dwelling in the midst of His people. The Christian rocker Keith Green said that a Christian is just someone who is bananas for Jesus. That is what this longing for the presence is supposed to produce. That's what our following heart after God is supposed to result in. The warm language of worship in these verses reminds us that we're involved with a person who is worthy of our hearts' best gifts, and so we worship. Then finally, in verses 9-11, through we find trusting. The psalmist longing for God produced worship of God, and this in turn produced a deep trust in God. Listen as he says, But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Here again is deep emotion, and the result of that emotion is a profound trust in God. The psalmist has been pursuing God, and his worship results in a trust in God. Now, there's a direct connection between the psalmist's worship of God and his trust in God. It works like this. The psalmist exits the sanctuary, the place of the glorious presence of God. And as soon as he's out the door, he discovers himself to be back in a devil-filled world. He finds those who are seeking to destroy his life. He finds himself surrounded by the city of man in rebellion against the Creator, He senses in his own person, the flesh, the remnant of the old nature that is ever willing to throw him under the bus of temptation and trial. He struggles with the flesh. He becomes aware of the devil shooting his fiery darts at the target of his heart and mind. What in the world happened? A few moments earlier, he seemed to almost be in heaven, and yet now he seemingly finds himself in hell. How will he respond? He will respond with trust and confidence. Why? Because a personal knowledge of God is the sure foundation for a strong faith in God. And that's the point of these verses. A personal knowledge of God makes faith impervious to attack by faith's enemies. Watchman Knee said that when he was a new Christian, he lived in fear that he would meet some modernist or some scientist that would overturn his faith in the Savior by producing a better argument than he could marshal for Jesus. And that fear went on for some time, he said, until one day he came to a different realization. He said that his heart finally reached the point which, if confronted by an unanswerable argument against Jesus, He could calmly reply, yes, there's much in what you say, but I know my God. It's the personal relationship with Jesus that overturns every clever argument against him and makes those who follow hard after God bold as lions in the face of our enemies. Years ago, Augustine wrote in his Confessions the classic line, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Now that may have been written almost 2,000 years ago, but it's still a live coal from the altar today. God puts within the heart of his people a longing for himself that can only be satisfied in his presence. Dear ones, seek his presence. Go to where he may be found. There is refreshment from the living God for all who seek him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you long for us to seek you and to find you. And we thank you for the fact that our hearts are satisfied when we're in your presence. So we pray that you help us to be a seeking people who know the joy of finding you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Look for our next issue coming soon. Have a blessed day.